Hello and welcome to Ozpol Explained. I'm your curly-haired host, David. Let's bust some myths about the voice to parliament. So, a persistent claim is that the voice to parliament will have veto power. This is just absurdly wrong. There is no legal or constitutional basis whatsoever for that to make sense. It cannot override the decisions of parliament. It can't just get its way or force a decision. That just is not how it works on many fundamental levels. For starters, the wording of the voice amendment says that its only real power is to make representations. Make representations is to communicate an idea on behalf of a group or individual. In this case, it makes representations by indigenous people for indigenous people about indigenous affairs. That is the definition and limit of its powers. Clause 3 also backs this up, saying that Anything that is altered about it needs to be subject to the limits of the Constitution. So, one, if it's in the Constitution, Clause 2 creates that limit of it being an advisory body. But also, the rest of the Constitution has some clearly defined powers, like legislative power, the Parliament, the Senate, House of Representatives, and the Monarch. So a bill needs to pass with the approval of those three bodies. The Senate and House of Representatives agree, and then the Governor-General, on behalf of the Monarch, gives royal assent, right? That's the fundamental legislative process. Any action, internal or external, that members of parliament do to gather information or consider different perspectives, that's optional. That's not really a constitutional requirement. It's just a sign of good governance to actually ask the people you represent, hey, what are your thoughts and opinions? The voice is there to provide a dedicated formal way for indigenous people to provide that consultation. And then on top of that, right, the internal workings of Parliament are immune to High Court challenges. The jurisdiction of the High Court comes once a bill has passed, and it doesn't comment on the internal workings of Parliament. In fact, Section 50 gives it absolute sort of power over its own internal workings. So Parliament can choose to not consult the voice if it wishes. So the claim that the voice will just challenge a bill it doesn't like in the High Court doesn't make sense because that's not how the High Court works. The High Court doesn't just go, oh, ah, oh, you don't like this law? Okay, well, let's see what we can do. The High Court has cases taken to it and say someone goes, hey, I don't think this law should apply in this instance because that's a breach of the constitutional limits of the powers of parliament, the High Court can make a ruling and see if that law, or at least section of that law, goes beyond those limits. And then that law or section thereof doesn't apply in the case that is being examined. So if you're like, hey, you can't send me to jail because X, Y, and Z is unconstitutional, the High Court can be like, I guess you don't go to jail. It doesn't then go back to parliament and say, you need to change this law. It doesn't tell Parliament what to do. It doesn't give advice either. The voice gives advice. But advice is not legally binding. You too can give advice. You too can make representations by signing a petition or contacting members of Parliament. But you may have noticed that even though petitions are a great way to draw attention to an issue and demonstrate that a particular community cares about it or is affected by an issue and that might instigate change, you can't just take Parliament to court because you're like, I signed a petition and you didn't agree with me. That law should be invalid. It doesn't work that way. So we're not rewriting several sections of the Constitution that define what the legislative powers are and who is part of that. That's 
just Parliament and we're not altering sections of the Constitution to do with the High Court's jurisdiction and we're not altering even the section of the amendment that defines the purpose of the voice itself. That's pretty fundamentally clear that it doesn't encroach upon any of those things. Like Clause 3, subject to this Constitution, right, means that it can't be given legislative or executive or judicial power. It can't become a court, for example. Any powers that it's given must be relevant to its function as an advisory body. So like, can it make its own inquiries by its own volition? Can it request documents from companies or organizations to aid in its investigations? That's the kind of power. It's relevant to its ability to investigate and make information available to Parliament. That's its purpose and its limit. So if someone's talking about veto power, they're either just making something up or to be fair to them, if they are making this claim and they actually have a genuine concern or belief that this is possible, we'd have to accept that it is a social belief. It is the idea that the voice has so much social and political influence as to put pressure on members of parliament to accept its advice, or they would be under the potential negative outcome of being voted out at the next election. That's an opinion about what the voice would achieve. That's not a fact, it's a sort of assumption about a social environment and norm that the voice has this power and influence over the government of the day and the government of the day's attitudes are receptive if not fearful of the voice's advice. And then we also need to believe or assume that the dominant beliefs of the general public are going to side 100%, if not almost 100% of the time with the voice and therefore vote accordingly. But dominant attitudes and ideas and cultural beliefs shift over time. So it is possible if you think that that's a risk that you can express yourself in many ways to try and fight back and shift people's attitudes around you so that the government isn't so pressured by this sort of social norm that has somehow arisen in the future. Just as, you know, we're all capable of being like, oh, I don't think the government is listening to the voice at all, and I don't think people care. How about we start conversations that sort of help shift the cultural social norms around us to give more weight to the voice's advice, if that is something that's important to you. Democracy is about the will of the people, and that is a participatory thing. That is something we all collectively get to shape. The point of the voice isn't to subvert this democratic representative system we have, where, you know, it's all about what the majority views and wants. It's just there to try and better enable Indigenous people to have a voice and say, as a minority group that has been disproportionately affected and at times structurally silenced from participating in democracy. It's still up to us collectively as a nation to judge and respond how governments have responded to this advice and this voice. So really it's just, you know, do we culturally, as a collective majority, think that the voice is important and what its input is, is valuable? Or do we as a majority don't 
that is what we collectively get to decide because voting in a referendum is compulsory just like general elections. So I hope this has helped you understand better, maybe it has helped you better explain it to someone who doesn't understand, maybe you could share this with someone who still doesn't understand. I hope that this is just useful and remember we should all work together to dispel myths and come together to make informed decisions when we go to vote. Thank you so much for tuning in, comment down below what you would like to learn about next, share, subscribe, all those sorts of things. Thank you so much to my supporters on Patreon and I'll see you next time.